Hello, welcome to Spotlight. This is the podcast where we look at the Star Trek universe from a non-Trekkie perspective. And today's focus is going to be the Star Trek Voyager series, which started in 995 and ran for seven seasons, remarkably, according to some. But seven seasons, I did stick with it, as we'll discover as we go through this. I'm Paul Wilson, and my co-host, as usual, is Matt. Hello, Matt Brothers, how you doing? And Liam Dempsey. Hello, nice to be here, as always. So, wait, you watched the whole seven seasons of Voyager originally? Yes, as it went out. Um, Although it wasn't always easy. Is this new? Such a a traitor, Paul. We went went into this podcast with good faith, with us all coming from a non-traitor perspective. Then you're like, oh, seen all the TNG or Voyager. <laughs> like, I just think like competition in TV marketplace wasn't as strong in, between '95 and 2002, where this, this show could survive. I mean, it has. Well, we'll, we'll go into it, but it certainly has its charms. But like in today's TV, this would probably not survive. You had time for seven seasons of Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, it, that's the thing. I actually can't even now, like five years on from you giving me The Sopranos and uh, Buffy and that kind of thing it's just like finding it hard to find time to focus on ATV at all but so Star Trek Voyager I remember the, seeing the pilot like on video cassette actually somebody bought it and uh, watching that oh, that's how you first saw yeah. the but you didn't watch it, was, it, on it TV. was a Friday night at the Wilson <laughs> residence uh, uh, my dad's friend Dave Friday night who uh, my dad's friend Dave who went flying model aeroplanes with him <laughs> I think I remember and uh, yeah he uh, he had short dark hair modelled on Tom Cruise because he was obsessed with the movie Top Gun and he like basically had a motorcycle and, and wore a motorcycle jacket much like Tom Cruise sported the film and uh, yeah he also liked Star Trek Voyager and uh, it's like gather around kids I've got something cool to well, show you gather around kid uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyone who will watch this please <laughs> well yeah no and I think he, he bought them every week so I was like wow he has like £12 to spend that's like four months pocket money <laughs> oh, this is yeah, back, yeah. this is back in the day of two episodes on a VHS two episodes it? on a VHS so Caretaker part one two is just one <laughs> <laughs> there you go, you've got, you got your 90 minute special. But yeah, um, we probably should introduce our guest for this episode as well. Uh, and with me is Sophie Morris. Hi. Hello, Sophie. Hi, Paul. Now, according to my notes here, you are an educator. Yes. Yes, and you educate our nation's children. I do. On Star Trek. On (laughs) Star Trek. Every lesson is about Star Trek. We do a ranking of the captains, that's how we start the day. Yeah. And uh, the rest is all talking about different types of aliens. Yeah. And the influence (laughs) they've had on the universe. I was going to say, it is biology you do, but like you don't get a chance to like touch on Zephyr and Cochrane's theory of all life. Uh, (laughs) Is it part of the syllabus? All I heard from that was cock and touching, so I'm (laughs) steering clear of that at all times. Yeah. Especially with kids. So, Sophie, why don't you tell us about some of your Trek credentials? So, what was your first experience of Star Trek? How much of stuff in the Star Trek franchise have you seen? So, uh, Star Trek was babysitting. So, I'd go and see my dad, and he would put on Star Trek. And I would be put in front of Star Trek. This will um, shut the kids up. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. It'll send um, them to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, I've seen... So episodes from all the series but I haven't seen all the series in their entirety so I've seen a lot of TNG a lot of DS9 um, Voyager but I've seen smatterings of all of them I haven't seen them all the way through which is right. frustrating I've not seen any of them to their conclusion mm. oh um, not even Voyager no oh. but you are a big fan of Voyager which is why you're joining us today yeah but it's seven series and no one has the time to watch them all <laughs> 
No, really. not, not anymore. <laughs> not I mean, anymore. Not with like 20 plus episodes per no. season, no. And I had no one to come around with a VHS. So. <laughs> we couldn't all have Dave. Well, Dave moved to Exeter and disappeared. <laughs> and like, literally, I mean, he just, they never heard from him again. They actually thought he was dead. And. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it turned out that I sourced my. Uh, <laughs> it's a lovely voyage. end to the story. It, it, was he just actually <laughs> dead? Ba- like one day, his stack of Star Trek Voyager VHS <laughs> fell down on him. I mean, we've only like two episodes per VHS, seven seasons worth. <laughs> crushed him. I just remember like going, like he had a Ford, um, you know, one of those C- Ford Sierra, I think it was. And it was just this battered, like. Thing. God, really modelled himself on Tom Cruise. Didn't <laughs> <it>? <laughs> uh, you know, it was like this, this, this sort of white rust bucket. Yeah. And then he would go. I, I'd go outside. He said, "Oh, just like which which one are you on now?" I couldn't work out which one you're on. So like, I bought all of them over, and this entire boot lifted up, which is all the Voyager takes in order. Just he's driving around with them in the back, and uh, so I was like, "Oh no, no, two point twelve, actually, that one there, yeah, the phage." Okay. Can you imagine if the police pulled him over? At that stage? Yeah, how can you explain this? <laughs> Uh, so Sophie I believe that Star Trek Voyager is your favourite iteration of Star Trek is that right? yes okay and why is that? I just love Neelix I love him mostly for his fashion sense and the Star Trek cookbook and the Star Trek cookbook which you can get from Amazon for $12.99 fans of the podcast will remember on our Final Frontier episode (laughs) uh, that Paul actually utilised the Star Trek cookbook to cook us some of Dr. McCoy's Tennessee baked beans. Oh, that was in there, was it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. it's from the official Star Trek cookbook with Neelix. That's a a bit before Neelix's time, isn't it? Yeah, but he he covers the entire Star Trek. (laughs) He he had studied, he found McCoy's recipes on board. Like, uh, like, you know. uh, The ship's computer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Neelix is on the front cover of that book. Right, um, right. It's obviously meant to be creating the Star Trek I haven't book. seen enough of this show yet to fully understand, but the, people can make food in a replicator, right? Do they need a cook on board? Yeah. But it's just like the same as it making your loving... own food okay. and buying a ready meal. Oh, right. It's, well, it's yes. also, Machines for takeout, they'll actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's explained that the, um, the stuff they talk about Voyager has like these gel packs that regenerate, but they actually get fucked up, I think, and uh, quite early on. So they basically can't replicate that much, or there's like a limited amount they can do. So they need to like stop up at plants and restock and bring in like local delicacies. So they need right, somebody yeah, that actually yeah. knows how to cook this shit. Um, you know, how handy it's, it's the guy for you I just yeah. keep thinking of the one in Red Dwarf and it keeps buggering up just <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah well funny there's a lot of Red Dwarf comparisons to talk about later mm-hmm. um, but yeah today we're going to do what we usually do on these TV episodes which is talk about the pilot of this show and then Sophie our guest has picked an episode for us to watch alongside the pilot but we're not going to reveal that just yet first we're going to talk about the two part feature length pilot episode no I leave it out of the description Paul to keep the mystery master of ceremonies <laughs> <laughs> like uh, so this is Caretaker uh, debuted on January 16th 1995 the first ever TV show shown on UPN uh, this was used to launch the channel uh, to 21.3 million viewers crazy, which is like the highest highest rating Star Trek has ever had 20 yeah that episode highest rating ever and it's never Voyager never reached those heights again I guess again. this is like <laughs> I guess this is the it's all down here. This and is, that's the end of the this podcast is like, uh, this is the peak of Trek at this point isn't it because yes. you've got Next Gen still on 
No. No, just finish. Just, just, just finish. So but generations they, in the film. Oh, yes, of course. But um, DS9... But they still oh, exist in the movie-verse because they're still making TNG movies. Yeah. DS9's still on. Now we've got Voyager as well. So it's yeah. the first and possibly last time that there was, like, three things happening at once. Movie, universe, Deep Space Nine, yeah. and this. Yeah, it's never yeah, crossed yeah. over that much. I, I think uh, previous guests might talk about how many Stargate shows were on at one point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, but they didn't have movies as well, apart from the original film that started yeah. it all. But everyone's forgotten that now. So. I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Caretaker. So this was written by Michael Piller. Uh, who also wrote Michael the DS9 Pilot. Pilot. So he's back again. Uh, but he's joined this time by Jerry Taylor, who was a writer on TNG and DS9 as well. And it's directed by Winrich Kolb, uh, who directed loads of TNG and DS9, including All Good Things, the Next Generation finale, uh, which is very lauded by people who love that show, I believe. Um, so this is a bit of a weird one. Because mm. usually at this stage in the show, we turn to Matt because Matt seems to be the person who's seen the least Star Trek of all of Especially us. Especially in this era. To give your first impressions. But this time, this is the first of every other show. I mean, I've, I've never watched a Star Trek show all the way through. Um, but I had seen a smattering of episodes of all of the others. Voyager is the first thing where all I've seen ever is the first five minutes of Caretaker when it was first ever on on BBC Two, and I fucking switched off after five minutes. <laughs> Literally, the bit where Janeway goes to visit Paris in the prison, switched off then. I was like, that's enough of that. Like, what's um, all this outdoorsy bullshit? And I don't know, it, it's funny, watching it again, I think what put me off is that pre-title sequence which seems when you're watching it to be connected to absolutely nothing um, another fucking scroll <laughs> yeah, so we're really into Star scrolls. Wars territory now because they started DS9 with one they're kind of really just going on the strength of what they've done before before yeah, being DS9 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and because even DS9 really hasn't hit stride yet like, I mean in terms of like it's not got to series 3 and 4 which where it like really kind of found its Mm. I mean, yeah, was, yeah, was yeah. DS9 so they're kind of still like thinking about what worked for Emissary, the DS9 sort of pilot, and it's just like, well, scrolls were good. Yeah, like, was DS9 doing well at this point? Did they think, oh, it's bombing? Let's just greenlight uh, someone else. Or DS9 was, was starting great. season three when they started yeah. season one. So I mean, the yeah. paint's still fresh on that thing. So they were like, yeah, oh, this is going great. Do another one. Or oh, I think it great. must have been doing well in terms of ratings because if you think about it they chose to launch this channel with Star Trek Voyager. And you've got to think about the fact that there's no way they're spending money on launching another Star Trek TV show at the same time there's another one on if it's not doing well in and the ratings. It's basically so. maybe filling in the cracks where you've got people on Vo um, Deep Space Nine or the fans from Next Gen who are like, oh no, I don't like it just being one place. Mm, yeah. And then you've got now we're going to go Get on more Voyages. Yes, and the adventure side. We're going to do Voyages in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it might be that those two seasons, DS9, are now looked, not looked on as being particularly good. That's what Alice was saying, wasn't it? I think. But in the ratings wise I, like I, said, I think this was like the zenith of Trek's popularity. Um, so they're really going for it. However, scroll aside. <laughs> This we last month we talked about how the opening of Emissary was really quite striking, and you know you, straight away you're in there with this big battle, and poor Cisco has to leave his wife. Quite emotionally impactful straight away. This, I mean, like I say, that pre-titles just seems that there's nothing to grapple onto there. 
it's not a starship or any kind of Federation characters or doesn't seem to be at that stage. No idea what's going on. It doesn't really work on its own. Mm. It's just like a snippet of a scene. And then you're suddenly into the actual titles and they're showing an actual, the Voyager ship. And you're like, well, we haven't met anyone from Voyager. We don't, what the fuck's going on? It's a real rare thing of like, you know, seeing the thing before he even got there. Yeah. Yeah, because... Doesn't even Deep Space Nine have the, the final shot before the title? He it's, sees it's, it out of the window. window yeah. yeah. And Voyager is just like, no, they go straight into the fully fledged like uh, main titles. Like, um, that's it. We you notice something quite funny on the uh, on the bridge of that ship. And there's there's that there's a man just oh so when you see the marquee ship, there's a man just standing, doing nothing, just standing. He's kind of like leaning into <laughs> and out of the ship. And I just wrote down, what is he doing? Just what is the man standing? Like, he's literally just standing there. Like they're getting shot at. All the stuff is happening. Oh, he's holding the boom. And it's just, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> what what is your purpose? He's what on the he's on the marquee ship. That's yeah. Boom. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you yeah. never see him again. That's it. That's his sole purpose. He's sucked out into the Badlands. Whoop. Yeah, no one likes Completely it. thrown in the deep end. Oh, no, no idea what's going on. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like really trying to channel uh, Star Wars, isn't it? With the, it's got the bigger ship chasing the smaller ship, straight after a scroll, but without any of it's the. It's true, time actually. Like, uh, I wonder why they thought 995. Now's the time to start <laughs> aping Star Wars. <laughs> In our, in our science fiction shows in space. Maybe there was the hope that Souls would have been forgotten by this yeah. point. Well, it wasn't. Star Wars, 95 was, is probably peak, yeah. like, Star Wars being dead, right? Like, yes. it's yeah. all. That's true, that's true, yeah. yeah. Star Wars, they announced the prequels, but it mm. was like, as we, as I told you, like, mm. you know, well, even though with Phantom Mess was still coming, like, coming out, I'm like, still saying, you know, Star Wars is going to be a big thing. Just hold on. Hold on now. I'm just imagining like ten year old Paul going like, Matt, you don't understand. Souls is going to be big, man. Bye, 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 You know, Pepsi Cola. They're all good thing when they see it. But I actually like making a comparison to the the recently passed Bond director, Lewis Gilbert. Ah, because this is like also reminding me a little bit of them being sort of swallowed up by something large, as it as seen in Spy Love Me. Of twice and Moonraker, <laughs> all of his bond basically films. all his Bond pre titles started with like a small thing being consumed by a larger thing, which was like this you know, this energy field that's coming in close, but you don't actually have any external shots. So, like, all was missing was like uh, Jacote looking in a periscope behind and going, My god, that's, <laughs> that's how this should have ended, <laughs> and uh, that was basically what it was missing, but yeah, it's just. There's, it just seems like something's been cut off. There's no complete story mm. there. It's just a random snippet of them on that ship. And that's that's it. And you're into these tiles, which I must admit, loved the opening theme and tiles. This is Goldsmith again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah well, he won an Emmy for his uh, theme. For Quite right, too. I think it's gorgeous. Gorgeous theme. Do you like it, bruvs? Yeah, no, it's one of the ones that's actually stuck in my head. I can't remember DS9's one already, but this one's there. Mm. Um, D- you can't remember DS9's? Oh, I will, and I watch... But this is I do love the uh, the music with it. I mean, it seems to be edited beautifully to the music of this one, where the ship comes out of the um, but over the ice. Yeah, like, that's really going. nice. I always love the, the bit there. But it's funny, going in, I thought, okay, what, what can I grasp on that I know, which is what I always do with these ones now. So these ones, I'm like, oh, Cardassians, okay, I know these guys mm. now. Marquis, are they new for this, or have they shown up? As no, because no, Marquis mm. was so in DS9. Right. Um, Kira, 
she was the whole Bajorans were, were with the Marquis, so she oh, was. Oh, okay. So okay. prior to that, the Marquis were part of the rebel resistance against the Cardassians. Right. right. Yeah, I know they're kind of okay. like outlaws between because they yeah. don't like the fact yeah. that they've made a treaty kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, so yeah, yeah. the the guy in the Totes Amosh episode that you watched. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was part of the Marquis before yes. he became Big Bad Bajoran Awesome President Man. Oh right, okay. That's the guy, the guy who comes to visit and gets together oh, with Kira. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Okay. And um, I think you also have a bit of crossover in Next Gen's last season and a half, like <coughs> six to seven. There was like um, Ensign Rowe was what was a recurring kind of side character, and she was Marquis. Eventually, she left Starfleet to join them. So there's kind of like all three shows that had a touch of the Marquis about them. Right. Um, okay. Um, what do we think of the ship itself of the Voyager ship design I, I think it looks fucking awesome yeah I mean I don't know about the how it looks but I like the design of the bridge for once it looks quite mm. badass it's not like a beige lounge uh, it's it, yeah, it, it, it seems functional yeah, yeah yeah I always thought the outside of the ship just looks a little toady looks a bit looks a bit <laughs> yeah, tubby it's kind of like it's really the job. Oh, I really like the, the little kind of what's that thing under it? It's no. got a light on it, and it looks. That's great. pretty cool. But I like that, I like my ships with that, stuff sticking out of it. What is that? The defector dish. No, yeah. aren't you talking about the, the blue like, light? The, yeah, yeah, the blue light. light. That's the warp drive, isn't it? No, the, they're the nacelles. The things that. No, the nacelles are the long bit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They're the warp no, drive. No, he's talking. Oh, the bit underneath. Yeah, that's the deflector light dish. Oh, okay. Because it looks it looks close enough to the other enterprises to be recognisable. Yeah. But it's got its own look mm. as yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I like it. I like <laughs> yeah, it. I, I want it. Tick. Yeah. Look, if I had a micro machine of it, I probably did. As it says here, with as with the DS9 episode, I have the Star Trek Voyager Bible from the 90s. <laughs> and as it says here about the ship, uh, it's a smaller, sleeker, more advanced than the Enterprise, holds a crew of some 200, and does not have families on board. Is it sleeker? Looks no, flatter. It does yeah. look. It's, it looks, looks smaller. It looks stubby. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say sleeker. I'd no, say like no, it stubby. It, it the escape pod version. Of it. <laughs> it doesn't look like a Porsche of the you know Star Trek. Do you know car. what it looks like? It looks like a version of the Enterprise <laughs> that's just started through puberty, the beginning of adolescence, <laughs> hasn't quite like shed its like puffy fat yeah, yet. Fat. And you know, you know, it'll be like a couple three years. Like, and yeah. after those three years, it will be beautiful. But right now, it's just a little bit. <laughs> His balls haven't chopped, which is one of the things. Bunk like uh, that's when it goes into the space. So we have our first female captain. This yeah. is Captain Janeway, played by uh, mm. Kate Mulgrew. What did we make of Janeway? Well, I mean, you know, you said how you turned off during her first scene before, and it's like I'm, I'm kind of not surprised because she's she's a great character. But as an introduction, her just kind of wandering around recruiting a guy off of. From from the woods, it's yes. not quite dynamic for like yeah. who she. Is I, I should say I wasn't switching off because of her. <laughs> oh, I wasn't. Uh, my ten year old. A woman. But yeah, my ten year old what self was not going world? like. Wait a minute, a woman <laughs> captaining. I'm out. Like yeah, that wasn't the yeah. reason, but it was more like what you say. It's been the boring introduction. That, that opening it's is so just throwaway, and then this bit is them just wandering about in the woods. Yeah. Well, I I just feel I feel really sorry for the whole like continent of like Australia. Australia and New Zealand that even in the future it's still a people colony like yeah, 18th yeah, century yeah, we sent all of our convicts over to Australia and now in the future it we're sending them around. to New Zealand so much better. <laughs> why Australia's do we hate myself why do we hate it I also like the ankle monitor of the future that just beeps constantly it's like, <laughs> just like they say, boop, 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 
That must send him fucking crazy. In fact, you only have to wear it for a year. It's part of the thing. Yeah, yeah. But no, I thought Kate Mulgrew made a really impressive first impression, like straight away. Yeah. There's something really commanding about her as soon as you see her. Something really striking. Well, I like how she seems a lot more compassionate for her crew in general than definitely Picard and and more Cisco as well. So she seems more like quite. You know, she get the sense that she's stern and means business, but she's got the uh, you know her crew to look out for. And showing that little scene where she's chatting to like her husband or boyfriend, whatever it is, oh, just yeah. to give her a tie so that when they love me, love away, my dog. Yeah. <laughs> what a woman. I leave him in the kennel. <laughs> Suspended animation kennel. Sure. <laughs> They've invented them in 2015. According to Back to the Future. So. Um, go on. No, 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 you go. Oh, I was just going to say that. Uh, of course, we get Quark returning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this yeah. is a... the I heart Quark. <laughs> so this is a similar. Thing. That was a great scene with him. Was a... well, so, yeah, was. The it was a similar yeah. thing to DS Nine, where they've brought in a character from the last show to kind of cross the thing. So you're a big Quark fan, Sophie. How could you not be? Mm-hmm. Very true. How After watching Crossfire, he is yeah. a legend. He's so great, and there's so many great episodes with him in. Um, I have a, a strong affinity with DS9 and Quark, and the ones that I enjoy is where he features more. Him and those ears, like <laughs> the weird ear thing and his love of the ears, he's great. Him and, and his whole thing with his brother, Nog, and like it's just, it's hilarious, the two of them. They're like the Chuckle Brothers of space. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they are. Well, this is a really funny scene, isn't it, as you say, because yeah, he's kind of using awesome. Starfleet's liberalism against them. Yeah. In the sense of, kind of he plays poor Kim off, like, about you know, convincing him that he's going to kind of report him for being racist, basically, and then he's like, oh, I will actually buy some stuff, and he's mm. kind of doing it over. It's a real case of, like, oh, I saw you coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really, funny scene and Kim is you know the actor playing Kim really well cast has that wet around the ears kind of like thing going on and it really it's a good scene because if he has any weaknesses the strength of a quark he's being established you know really helps introduce him and he's saved by Tom Paris I mean who we've seen in one scene already but he's my biggest problem with this oh really Um, yeah don't like Paris I hate Paris. Well, you hate Paris as well? I well hate- I c- let's hear the case. Yeah. Hate- the case so, against Paris. <laughs> I, I have a long-held grudge against Paris. Well, I just think, like, for the bad boy, this guy... Are you the prosecution team? Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, but- yes, yes, we are. Are you joining this prosecution team, Matt? <laughs> I'll judge for a bit. Oh, okay. Okay. I, see, I, think I, 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 I think I agree with you, but I don't have enough to go off yet. Okay, well... Go. Okay, so my issue with him is he just never... For the bad boy renegade James Dean... He's a bit too old. His hair's receding too much. <laughs> and he just isn't, like... He hasn't got enough edge. Mm. Like, I was told that I could have edge if I just got a tattoo. <laughs> and I don't think I don't think a tattoo edge makes. <laughs> and I don't think just telling somebody they're a bad boy, a bad boy makes as well. I want to propose that this ca- the, the casting should be changed and we had Robert Downey Jr. Mm. <laughs> 1995, Robert Downey Jr., before he really hit the drugs hard <laughs> but he was not a big t- uh, movie actor like he'd done Chaplin but Chaplin. he was kind of in that in between phase where he could have like I mean I don't know maybe well he went on trying to McBeal didn't he well, so. yeah but that was that was later when he was in hard times oh, yeah. oh, I think so I think you need to bring him in you need to kill
still Paris off around season five and then bring in our DJ. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. But so we're going to have to keep him for three oh, quarters gosh. of Voyager. Yeah, sorry. Oh, <laughs> no, he's <laughs> irritating from the outset. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I never even considered that he was a bad boy character until you said No, I didn't even consider it. I forgot he came from prison. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I completely agree, right? Because uh, to the point that I was a bit confused for a second, because obviously you introduce him in that scene where she's kind of pulling him out of prison, and the next time you see him, he's in Starfleet uniform and everything like that, and he's kind of acting as if he's been around these people like quite a while. And as soon as I saw him, I, I just thought it was someone else because he looks completely cleaned up. And I was like, oh, I just guess they're two boring white guys. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, like, you, know, you, know. you know what he looks like? Goddamn snitch. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't no bad boy. Like, uh, I just find him... So, so he's he's the son of this, this fancy admiral. He's a kid with like a silver spoon in his mouth. And he's decided to be a bit of a rebel, piss off daddy, still knowing that he won't get into too much trouble. He's not a bad boy. Right. He's a bored, rich kid. Mm. And we're meant to all think that he's amazing. And he's meant to be this big, hot you know, shot, hot shot. Everyone fancies him. But no, he's a womanizer. That doesn't mean that he's fanciable. It means that he treats women like crap. And it means that he's just self-entitled the entire time. I, even as a child when I was watching it, so when I was, what, eight or nine, I was like, you're a dick. <laughs> like, baby Sophie was like, you're an asshole. I, you can't tell me, TV, that I should fancy this man because I don't. I like Neelix because he's a true soul. And I love him. He's pure. He's pure. <coughs> Neelix and the Doctor, hands yeah, down. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Great. this series doesn't have, like, it's Bashir, if you're into Bashir, like Alice's. Oh. But I mean, Paris could have been. Are you into Bashir as well? Bashir so, is you great. Get the spelling sorts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was about to say, you, you you look like you were going. Oh my ovaries! Well, yeah. <laughs> Bashir's great. Like he he's he's a character that grows so well throughout mm. DS9, and he's so much. There's so much to him, especially when he gets a bit jaded, and you're like, oh. You poor soul. It's like, you're like, oh, you were so pure, and now, now you've got this. <laughs> He's a man who grows edge. Bashir has more edge than Do you think we Paris. get bad boy Bashir at one point? Well, not bad boy, but he gets he gets a bit cynical. And that, that has so much more depth of character Where to it from, yeah. than, than Tom Paris twat face. <laughs> you know, like, oh, what are you? You are pointless. Oh, oh God, woe, woe be me. I'm, I'm a pilot. And, and I've had all the opportunities afforded to me, so I decided to spunk them down the tube and just go to New Zealand. Oh, hard life. He's just very annoying. Wow. I just want to be a pilot. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny you actually mentioned it. I've got to say, because uh, I, I didn't pick up on the fact that he had a dad who was an admiral and stuff, like that, or I forgot it at least. And you were right in saying his prison time looks pretty easy. His prison it's, time it's looks... not is it? It, like, well, it's it not, looks... Like, it's, not, it's, not, it's, not it's, it's not like, avoid masturbation, it saps the energy. Like, you know, uh, that's like five years in a hole. Like. To me, his prison time looks like what the sun wants us to believe that prisons are like. Bloody holiday camps. <laughs> like, yeah, just, like, he's just wandering Set about the worst. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I, I did think he was just... a lot of money for that. I did think he was just building a shed. Like, I didn't pick up on it. <laughs> 
<laughs> why is she putting this guy up off my carpentry yeah. duty? Why won't he answer his pager on his ankle? <laughs> <laughs> like, and you're right in the sense of actually they do make him out to be a womanizer because he's coming on to poor Lieutenant Stardy who gets like instantly fridged um, by getting killed straight away. Is she the uh, helmsman? Helmswoman? The, the woman who he's kind of coming on to as they're coming towards Voyager oh, and yes, no, she then the she, she gets killed yeah, and like instantly. And takes a job straight away. Like, 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 classic <laughs> yeah. Um And that, I mean, that is quite a shock that well, she gets killed because you presume she's well, going to be a regular. Basically, you know, the fact that anybody turns him down or is mean to him dies. Um... <laughs> Like, As they deserve. Yeah, exactly. So basically, even like the Silver Spoon thing, it's just like, it basically fate intervenes to just let him have the clearest path to fame and fortune once again. Um, yeah. Um, it's great to see a Vulcan back with Tuvok. So... Yeah, I didn't realise how yes. much I missed them before he showed up. He is great, but... So I have no... I, so the Caretaker, I hadn't ever seen... I'd only seen part two. I hadn't seen oh, part okay. one. And so the first thing I wrote was, obviously I know the cat was like, Tuvok? A Vulcan, a rebel, and I was like, how? How could even even? So I obviously know that there's something up here, but he's a Vulcan. So how could he be a rebel? Rebel have to do like espionage. They have to lie. He's a Vulcan. Uh-huh. How can he? How can he? Yeah, he's how the worst anyone, undercover agent yes, ever. How yeah. can anyone believe that he would be a double agent? Well, how could he be a double agent? Double agent. Yeah. Um, if his brain could good go, poker face. Oh, yeah. Well, they do. Oh, Spock just... uh, it does this in one of the things. So it's like a lie, Spock, and a mission. Like, <laughs> it's like if I just leave something out, the fact I, I'm actually Starfleet, you know. What? So he's he's a mute. Is that yeah, what's going to happen? Just very, <laughs> very selective. Of this what is he our Vulcan mute. He's brilliant, but he doesn't say anything. Yeah, but well, you were going to say you were a mute earlier. That on. was said, true. Like, yeah. I was like, um, so he was going to respond with one tap for yes, <laughs> two taps. For no, like, well, yeah. I, I was going to say I think this was quite ballsy in the sense of in this they bring in uh, Tuvok, who's like the Black Vulcan and they bring the female Klingon so they're kind of doing like a flip on characters they had before in the sense of because Worf and Spock at this point Mm. are two of the most iconic characters like in Star Trek really and for them to kind of do kind of flips on their characters because they're quite close but they're kind of you know slightly Mm. different versions it's quite a ballsy move and and now that the Vulcan is Full Vulcan and the Klingon is it's half Klingon. Klingon. That's the Swift. Yeah, yes, nice. yeah, 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 yeah. There's a few Switcheroos going on there. I think it's cool. Also, another um, comparison was with Paris. Uh, that scene when he first comes in, and I think he's talking to Kim about the fact that how he ended up in uh, prison and with the Marquis and out, shot out of Starfleet and everything like that. Uh, reminded me of Michael Burnham in Star Trek Discovery because obviously it's another case of a character who was in prison is pulled back out back mm. in Starfleet again so I thought oh he's kind of proto Michael Burnham almost mm. but they learn from the mistakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 very true I mean um, so we have the I mean the ins- the effects in the show this has gone full CGI I think the Badlands yep. are not rendered particularly nicely it just no. it's a bit dull looking those kind of tornado like, things tornado things and nice. you know I just don't feel like the scope of this stuff like it doesn't feel dynamic enough and everything, all the choices visually mm. seem to be quite um, just very so not very imaginative, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you have like the special effects sequence where they're they're now flung. The whole, I suppose we should say, the purpose of this show is to sort of chart the journey home of a Federation ship uh, spat across seventy five thousand light years 
uh, across into the Delta Quadrant, which means they have to have spend 70 years. 70 years, yeah. 70 years uh, at, warp at, speed. at Warp 7 without stopping. And of course, we're going we're gonna to stop every week uh, for an epic <laughs> we're adventure. Gonna move. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to move. We're going to spend at least an hour a week like with a little story. Um, you know, that's going to take up a lot of time. Um, you know, we'll take them 70 years to get home again. And um, so the Voyager... Uh, the pilot caretaker is is basically setting this up, setting up the fact they're on the other side of the galaxy, and why they've been brought there is uh, a, a dying being that is feels a debt to a, a, a race that he's uh, he's basically done experiments on their planet and it's rendered their planet sort of desolate, hasn't it? And yeah. it means that it's forced them underground, and he feels such guilt that he's he's providing mm. them. Uh, support and uh, nourishment, but it's only going to last so long because he's dying. And what he's doing is bringing species across the galaxy, people who will be fit to follow in his stead. Take his place. And uh, Voyager is just one of those that he's brought across. I mean, you, you've put that very nicely. He brings people across to basically kind of break them. Yes. <laughs> he brings them across. He's like, bit of probing. Hmm, just going to probe you and see, <laughs> let's inject part of my DNA and see if you can make a mini me. It's what he does. There is a side effect that some of you may get this horrible, horrible <laughs> yeah. virus. Some of you may kind of get a plague and well, die, but yeah. that's fine. I was, I was like, it's kind of strange. Camper, all right. I, I was like, it's kind of strange to actually see actual alien abduction happening in the show for once. Mm. Oh, that's something that seems to have never really happened to be uh, to be abducted and probed and a bit of body well, horror. It reminded me a bit of the X Files one, yeah, the one with yeah. the the black the black goo. Tungunska. Is that what it is yeah, with the black goo? It's all about meteorite in Russia. Yeah, It reminded me of that. Well, that was the hottest show on television so clearly they're just trying yeah. to crib on that as well at the moment so you've got the whole bodies being suspended and big needles mm. going through that is so like Mulder and Scully like 995 isn't it what did we think of this main story that you've just described for the episode so this is kind of the, the crux of the actual mm. plot outside of the I, setup I think it was quite like choppily handled and it was kind of you know cramming in lots of just random action especially towards the latter half more holodeck bullshit as well yeah yeah. (laughs) but it was kind of like an interesting parable to the whole like climate change thing really because it's a guy who's kind of fucked up the environment because of his technology and that kind of like resonated a bit and it reminded me of um of lost actually how the guys in the bunker in Lost have to keep pressing this button. It's kind of like they have to keep doing a job to avoid disaster. And the guys in the bunker, this is like sort of season two of Lost, they're trying to get someone in to like replace them and stuff. So that idea of being stuck somewhere because of your own morals in a way, because that's kind of why the, the caretaker's mm. hanging around. Um, so he's kind of thrown into some murky water of like having to bring all these people out to try and find someone but it's for the greater good of some people that's quite compelling but yeah. I don't know it kind of got muddled it's well, only when I thought about it I was like oh. yeah he's doing something like what he thinks is really good by committing heinous acts of yeah. abduction and mm. uh, you know vivisection or whatever I'm I mean, yeah, I, I, there was one note here, I, before I forget, it's going to get lost, but like the coolest looking character in this entire show was the, the Marquis' fur guy that gets beamed over to the bridge. Uh, he looks like Dash Rendar from Shadows of the Empire, <laughs> uh, which is the uh, in-between novel of Empire Strikes Back and Return of Jedi. And he's like this proto-Han Solo, because Han Solo is obviously in carbonite during this time, and he has a little speeder, and he has his own ship. And it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea who you're talking no, about. No, neither do I. Dash Rendar. Yeah. Dash Rendar. Even the character, I have no idea who you're talking yeah, about. That's well, really struck a chord with you, hasn't it? I don't know, it? but he has these like, big shoulder pads. He's just like, cooler <laughs> than everybody else in this entire show. Yeah. I think it's it's a shame that, that Voyager actually has those uniforms and they're stuck with them through the whole show when there's when Deep Snow has a chance to do cooler ones. because uh, Well, these are kind of slightly... Uh, they're, they're like the... 
DS9 uniforms at the start, aren't yeah. they? Before they go all kind of first contact grey, kind yeah. of thing. Like, yeah. I know, and they're just, it's just everything sort of mm. stuck in that kind of like era. Mm. Um, so yeah, I like him. Yeah. That was good. But I mean, it does. It does <laughs> He's a lookout for this, kind of. It did kind of feel like it was playing it safe a bit. Like, it was a very, it's a very clear storyline to say, let's just throw you across the galaxy, you got to get home. That's yeah. so clear cut, and you can come into that really clean. And yet, it still has some elements of previous series with the Cardassian War ending and the Marquis and yeah. all that stuff. So that's great. So it's bits of both, but it felt like maybe a knee-jerk reaction to go back to the TNG days because every other show felt different. So yeah. TNG was kind of like it's the original series again, but new. And then Deep Space Nine was very different. And this was almost like oh, it's kind of more of the same for the TNG stuff, but pick and choose with which crew you prefer. And at the moment, this crew hasn't quite grabbed me in the way that even the DS9 ones have, like instantly. Well, it's funny because, yeah, the main crux, like the plot that's designed to get them 75 years away from, you know, the mm. normal timeline. It's so elevated um, pitch, isn't it? It's good. Is, is really contrived to me. And, yeah, the main plot I didn't really like at all. I just thought it was... It, it's funny, you've often said on this show that you kind of like... Oh, this is what I imagine Star Trek to be. Really? And I've got to say, this plot in this episode is kind of what I imagine, or I think what a lot of people imagine old school Star Trek to be. Yeah, it's it just this yeah. insanely nerdy, right. like, what the yeah. fuck? Like, the only nerds would even get this, or even contemplate putting up with this bullshit. <laughs> well, like, yeah. I, I was saying, like, the, the, um, this is an amalgamation of, like, some of the more interesting things, like Mad Max, there was a bit of that. Mm. Uh, there was Logan's Run. I think that, you know, the thing, there's Star Wars and that. It's just, a, you know, but it's all the very worst of all of those things. It's just like all those things done badly yeah. in this episode and on, on basically what looked like a shoestring budget for the most part. Everything's like, feels like it's trying to be epic, but it feels mm. so low level. It's got the return of some of the matte paintings, huh? Yeah. 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 I kind of get, get the impression from it, like, they didn't quite know where or what they wanted to do. Like, it felt, because at that point in time, I feel that it feels sort of young. When you watch it, it feels it feels so very uh, accessible to all mm. ages. Like they were trying to grab a younger demographic, or maybe because of having the female captain, they were trying to move towards it being a bit more family orientated, or a mum can sit down with their kids because look, there's a woman in it, um, and and that comes across where it's this. It just it does feel like a like a teenager has sat down and gone. This would be a really great idea. Let's put this in and this in and this in and this in and this in, and then no one's actually sifted through to pick mm. out those good ideas. They've just gone yes to everything. Yeah, and then just talk and, about it really plainly. And yes, well, the, exactly. The whole, I mean, there's hardly any action in it that I actually thought was in. There was no action in that I enjoyed actually. Didn't <laughs> 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 change from the whim. And I will put it in context. The the big action scene was them climbing up some stairs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stairs can be very dangerous. Well, this is the thing, it's coming in. And there's a scene of You to a Kill, the worst James Bond film, pretty much, which is done better than this. So, with where it's coming in Mayday. And some yeah. bizarre dialogue during that scene between oh. Paris and Chicote, oh, yeah. which like, sounds like out of a John Wayne film. It's an old Indian show. It's like, stairs. Oh, yeah, I wrote that down. I was like, Paris, it's the 24th fucking century, mate. He's like, oh, I guess you could turn into a bird or something. Like, what are you talking about? Also, the point is kind of like he's now what six hundred years <laughs> since like Native Americans were like properly <laughs> established. 
So even now, I would find you know people who are Native American heritage would find it quite hard to kind of you know keep in touch with like the traditions. Yes. And history. Yeah, 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 We're yeah. saying in the twenty fourth century that somebody's going to still go to you, hey Indian guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wrote down here as well. It's it's similar but kind of off on a tangent about how they have these references, obviously, to culture that oh, we yeah, understand. Yeah. Yes. Where I've yeah, gone, yeah. lol, Dickens reference. Yeah, Christmas Carol, right? for thousands yeah. of years in the future, isn't it? Like, she says a Dickens reference to an alien who doesn't know yeah, anything like, about Eng- like It's like, like oh, like those three... Culture. He goes something like, oh, those three oh, ghosts visited me. That's it, yeah. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, a reference to, to the ghost of... A Christmas yeah, Carol. Yeah, yeah Christmas but Carol. He's, he's like, at least you can sell that on being like, oh, maybe that's a classic piece of literature or so. But it's like... Like, by him using the term Indian, I'm like, yeah, mate, that's been, like, culturally insensitive for, like, the last five <laughs> fucking centuries. Like, that really did throw me, because I thought, like, is he saying that because the guy's nailing, he can turn to a bird? Oh, no, he's just being racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's more we're missing. But the, there Paris is, is a bad boy. <laughs> and, and this sticks out in my head as one of the smattering episodes that I've seen. That is an episode where Chakoti has to, like go back and meet his ancestors or does some stupid I it's the whole thing I think it made you first season I mean they went oh, it's way, way terrible. Went broke it's, <laughs> it's a whole episode about him like going back to his roots and it's some spiritual oh, journey and I remember watching this and going I hate he's another one on my hit list of <laughs> I hate and actually I find him surprisingly more irritating than than Paris because he's like a slow erosion of just oh get over yourself and at least the redeeming thing of Paris which I didn't put forward earlier and I'm sorry oh. about that is Harry like the bromance between him and Harry blossoms, oh Kim yeah yeah, yeah. Blossoms beautifully, and that's right. the one redeeming feature of Paris yeah, that he's always got Harry's back. I always enjoyed that, and he's bit a very this, yeah. sweet man to, to Harry. And actually, I think they should be a couple. And then, <laughs> if they were a You're couple, I think Paris would be a lot happier. I think it would make a lot more sense who he is. I think Kim's the only person who will fully accept him for all his flaws and be like, you don't need to just have this senseless sex all the time, just spoon. And I think (laughs) Paris and Kim would be beautiful and they could have children, they could replicate them, it would be fine. But the, the, you, I can see in my notes how I just sort of switched off. I was just getting so fed up with the episode where I just talked a lot about hair and eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that's what really stood out for me because I just got bored. Like, they, we had the stairs and then then this whole thing with the acamper and, oh, they're underground, oh, they're not underground, oh. And then you have the people whose faces look like they've been hit by spades. Yeah, they're the Kazon. Yes, the Kazon. <laughs> Um, and and then and then they get angry, and then I was like, I'm just bored of this now. When is it going to end? Well, the Kazon <laughs> look like the guys from the two little guys from Willow, um, you know, <laughs> who are running around, uh, who are really small and like, you know, basically like kind of Rujib or something like that. But yeah, they're just like big versions of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the thing about because Janeway actually? gives up the chance of them getting home straight away, yeah. doesn't mm. she? Yeah. And I didn't buy that at all. I was like, what? Like, like it was just to honour that, like, idiot alien's wishes. And it's like, why do you care? Just fucking get back. Like, yeah. Like, oh, and she breaks the line directive about interfering uh, yeah. to do that. And basically, the prime directive, like, is the yeah. backbone of her character. Could have all been over in one the, episode. In this, you know, the next seven years, as she just refers to it constantly to kind of keep them grounded and centred. In you approve all they go through, but with that, if she'd used it, then she would have left it for the Kazon 
to go on a on like a killing spree rampage. That's, oh, that's the whole point. Right. Okay, the whole point okay. is it could it's be turned into a thing. very powerful we'll, we'll weapon. Let her off. We'll so let her instead off. of allowing that fall into their hands, I bet it here though. I mean, like, <laughs> oh, I think you'll find. Why didn't the Kazon just take over the array earlier? It's got no defenses. There's no there's no defenses for it or shield, so it just takes a pounding. Why didn't they just beam a proton torpedo on a timer into it so that once it sends them back, it just blows up afterwards? It's like. Even its own university has problems with this. Final I guess game. they wanted to in, to like desperately set up a situation where she has to choose mm. and choose that way, in a way that maybe they didn't think everything through. So it's like, oh, I guess if you break it down like that, they, she could have done it. But then there's no show kind of deal. But you know what it did remind me of? The other show where someone's trying to get back home through space and time and keeps finding opportunities dash because he has to make the right choice. Samurai Jack, baby! Holy oh. <laughs> <laughs> Samurai Warrior! Because he, throughout that series, he, it's his journey to get back home, and every other episode he does find a way, and it, he has to choose to have it destroyed for the greater good, and he's like, it's alright, I'll find my own way back, I'll find another way. So when get this back, happened, back to the past, he's got to get back, back to the past Samurai Jack. So I was like, right, that's what Janeway and crew are doing. Yeah, I would have bought like the her going with the caretaker more if Harry Dean Stanton had played him, <laughs> um, which I think was a big miss as well. It was my dream casting here. About you saying about the the caretaker at the end, I, I've so through this I've, I've written the word sassy many times because obviously it's Janeway and she is the sassiest <laughs> sass. She's brilliant, but she can also be quite harsh. So he's there dying. He spent his his the best years of his life. Like supplying energy to these people who think that he's effectively a god, and she's just gone. Well, you, you know, you've got to let them live their own lives. So you spent all this time dying to look after them, and you've hindered them. Mm. And it's it's just it just when you twist that knife in, <laughs> you're almost dead, and your life's work <laughs> is actually holding these people back. So frankly I don't care like, it's, uh, yeah. the, uh, some of the, the Voyager Bible here about Janeway interesting written down as Elizabeth Janeway so maybe that was a working title name for her yeah. it says, it's uh, Catherine Janeway isn't yeah. It? Yeah. yeah so this must be an early draft uh, it says she embodies all that is exemplary about Starfleet officers intelligent thoughtful uh, perspicarious what does that mean? I have no idea. Sensitive to the feelings of others. <laughs> uh, tough when she has to be and not afraid to take chances. She has a gift for doing the completely unexpected, which has bailed her out uh, of more than one scrape. So I guess she kind of well, does you know that here. That Kath, uh, Kate Morgrew was a last minute, well, actually, more, more than a last minute replacement. Like, there was an original actress who shot half the episode before she, she, she left the show, yeah. Um, is this someone well known? Or? Yeah, Gwyneth Bujold, who was in uh, Obsession, Brian De Palma movie. She's been in lots of films in the seventies and eighties. Um, oh. And yeah, I don't know what the exact reason was for, but you can. I think on season one of Voyager DVD, you can see like her scenes, like that she did. Shoot. Interesting. But you know, hmm. they actually were rolling cameras, and then you know, something clearly didn't work. Yeah, I think maybe, I think it maybe overawed her the fact that you know this this could occupy her life for five plus years. You know, if it, if it took off. You know, which was pretty much guaranteed to do at that point. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, I think maybe just got cold feet about that. And uh, but for, for like a last replacement, Kate Morgan is amazing. I think she's mm. great. I think she's really, really impressive. Well, uh, I'm trying to think what we'd seen her in before. Like, what was she known for at this point? Before, oh, I, I, I don't know. Is she, is she was she well known before? 
I know, I know we've, we've, we've seen Robert Belcher and maybe Chakotay in that um, Arrow video horror movie. Um, oh, which one? The well, the one in the eighties with the two girls in the shop. Every oh, neither the comedy. Neither the comedy. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if she was. Fa- of course, now she's most famous for being in Orange Is New Black, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't even realise until Matt pointed out to me in an earlier episode of this show. I think it was our first ever episode. Oh, did I reveal that to you in? Yeah, the show? I'm pretty sure it was our first ever <laughs> okay. episode. You mentioned that she was. Right. In order to do it, cause yeah. she looks so different, yeah. um, and she's Russian and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely didn't realise at all. Um, but yeah, I think she's not got the bun. It's really hard to know who she is. <laughs> from, uh, from the train, she may be in. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it, the setup you were saying about how basically I just think it's really contrived because the thing is, it could have been in it, like ten other ways to get them miles away. It just know? is TNG again. They the only thing they've come up with this idea of them being seventy five years away from wherever. But for me. I'm sorry, but if you go back and watch the original series, you go back and watch Next Generation, apart from the odd episode where they might dock in somewhere or something like that or go back to Starfleet, in general, week to week, they may as well be 70 years away from anywhere because they're exploring new worlds. There's no connection or anything referenced to anything like you know that actually is around them. And to me, it's just the same thing again. It's just going... We are exploring new worlds, but we're just not going to check mm. in on Starfleet anytime. It's just a way to get them on that mission mm. again. They yeah. could have added like a Battlestar style serial element to it where they're constantly having to like, Well, it is very similar to the Battlestar setup, right, isn't yeah, yeah. it? But anyway, it's just like, it's taking all my kind of things about Voyager where it didn't go later on, which is the fact you don't see any kind of detrimental effect to the ship. Yeah, really. yeah. Other than, other than, they, they, there's a great video about the... T- Voyager torpedo count, where they say maybe a couple of episodes in that we have 44 left and we have the no ability to make any more, and they ended up firing about 70 <laughs> in the course of the show, and so they, yeah they're going into a deficit there, and it's like okay there's there's not like I hate that kind of discussion. yeah because that could have been a thing you know, yeah and the, 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 sh- the sets could have got better you know more depreciated yeah, yeah. You know, as well because Battlestar literally worth- counts down the surviving people on the ship episode by episode yeah. it appears in the opening titles like there's this many people left yeah it's yeah. going down because so. I'm sorry they don't I don't get the impression that they give a fuck about this premise what I mean you know Sophie you Paul you'll know this better than I will obviously but at least from watching that pilot to me I was like right this is the kind of thing that's basically never going to get referenced again. It's just going to be like, we're on a new adventure every week and very occasionally. It's the Simpsons reset. Like, so whenever they, yeah, whenever they need it for a plot, they might go, oh, but by the way, we're 70 years away from anywhere kind of thing because that works for the plot this week. But in general, they're not going to give a fuck about it. I think the only, the only thing that is a, something that carries it through is the Doctor. Right. So, because they lose, they don't have an yeah. onboard medical doctor. That's they the one thing him, that's yeah. a, that continues on that whole theme. Mm. And I think you're right. It's a, it's a, a. They've done it so that they can have new aliens come in, so that they can have new species and still have DS9, but just have these as a as a gimmick for yeah. for Voyager, so they can have their separate thing and they can have it go in two different directions. And it's only really the Doctor who is clearly affected by this as it goes on, and that obviously we'll talk about it in the in the about the next episode. But 
that's it really and then you're right they use it as a crux to to build other stories around it because I think they kind of run out of ideas at times <laughs> and it's a really easy thing to go back to as a hook but I yeah. but the this whole thing is, is setting that up and there are episodes where you get a level of fraughtness between the crew because of what has happened um, but it, they could do a lot more with it. Yeah, there's they occasionally could do, uh, episodes that kind of go into that, but they kind of are just one episode, which will occasionally deal with like the fact that they are stuck together, and mm. the and the basically morale could get low in mm. the episode. So there's like an episode where they have to go through a period of space for an entire year, which has no stars, and so they, they basically all they look out the window and just see black, mm. and it just makes everybody really moody and really like pissed off. So it basically will get seasonal affective disorder in space. Right. And uh, I think it's just like all the things that like um, Neelix is trying to do to kind of pet people up. He's like he kind of is a self-star morale officer as well as a cook. Right. And like um, so, I think he lays on some activities. Um, I don't. Know, I can't remember any of them. <laughs> badminton. Yeah. 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 Chess. <laughs> this is the one potential effect, isn't it, in terms of crew dynamics? Because what I did notice is and what I thought was frankly slightly odd is Janeway's willingness to completely abandon kind of any kind of Starfleet regulations like instantly as soon as she realises right we're 70 years away I'm running things now right so all the criminals and fugitives who we've got on the ship they're just now Starfleet officers along with us I'm hiring Neelix like it's just literally she's completely changed things and the rest of the crew I would have thought someone would go, oh, wait a minute, uh, like, I mean, even Tuvok, like, I mean, just be like, this is highly illogical. If you remember, I was a double agent uh, <laughs> attempting to, but you know, you take that. this guy down. Is it illogical? If you are somewhere where you have no access to resources, and actually, their, their whole thing was they didn't have a necessarily fully stocked crew, it was like their first maiden flight, they were just, it was a test drive. They were going on a test yeah. drive, and now they're on the other side, and they have lack of experienced staff, they have um, a knowledge deficit, they have a medical deficit, they have all these issues where they have gaps. And actually you could say that she is being very resourceful. Oh yeah. She is being a very strong leader and it, it's testament to her leadership as a captain that they go, all right, we'll fall in line. Yeah, because yeah, you are true, true. Sassy wench. Uh, I, think you, I think you're right. Uh, it's that thing of, you know, I'm not saying disputing uh, her skills as a captain because I, I do think you're right in the sense of I think that's actually a really good move. But I think it shows her to be, I think, possibly the first proper maverick hmm. like Star Trek captain where she's just kind of, yeah, I'm making the rules now. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Starfleet. Yeah. Do what I want. Oh, that's it. There's a running theme of her like through the whole show where, you know, she's quite strong-willed and if she's made her mind up, it's really difficult to mm. change her mind. And um, what a great comment to make before we chat about. The yeah, next I was. Episode. Yeah, about to say, very true. Very much in the in the in the. Vein it's of that, it's yeah. funny. Like, there's, there's probably a, a version of this pilot, you know, where the whole thing is about them ending up in the middle of nowhere, tensions being fraught, and then mutiny, mutiny, mutiny. Mm. That's like the storyline yes. of the thing, and her yeah. winning out and being yeah. like, "Fuck you, fall in line." If, if I remember, there's only like literally one episode that like deals with a conspiracy theory where I think um, they start actually. Ref it's maybe even like six seasons in where they reference the pilot again, and the marquee like crew members like basically plotting together, yeah. and it's all done in like I think seven of nine. Um, who's introduced later on? She um, sort of potentially looks a lot, you know, finds these kind of inconsistencies with the law and you know think she's uncovered like a conspiracy and all the evidence seems to point towards it but it's all kind of just and that's not the next episode we're going to talk about no. because <laughs> it's very involved yeah. it's, it's massively later on yeah. like and it's funny because to me 
I mean, this almost seems to be a return to Gene's vision of no conflict at all then, because you've got really a really combustible situation mm. where for me in the next episode there should be punch-ups yeah. going like you know people fighting the marquee and stuff like going I don't want them on the ship and stuff like that um, but the fact that they don't that they just instantly see that final scene where they're all on the bridge they're all wearing stuff at you everyone seems happy as fuck yeah. they're not even like no one's like oh Janeway why didn't you take that make that choice so we could go back everyone's just fine with everything they're like 70 years away from my family and friends don't give a fuck it's fine <laughs> didn't like, like him anyway yeah, yeah he's like everyone's cool there's zero conflict well, it's cause Janeway oh, gives such a great so speech yeah. yeah that's true yeah. that's true we have no idea of the dangers we're going to face. But one thing is clear. Both crews are going to have to work together if we're to survive. That's why Commander Chakotay and I have agreed that this should be one crew. A Starfleet crew. And as the only Starfleet vessel assigned to the Delta Quadrant, we'll continue to follow our directive. To seek out new worlds and explore space. But our primary goal is clear. Even at maximum speeds, it would take 75 years to reach the Federation. But I'm not willing to settle for that. So, before we move on to Sophie's pick, what we usually do at this point is say, at this juncture, if we'd seen this pilot episode on TV when it came out, would we have wanted to tune oh, in next week? Not. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, would you, after seeing this? I commit to things. So <laughs> right. You go down with one, the ship. I go down. I go down hard. You go down for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> Matt? See, at the time, I mean, probably not. I mean, based on what I was watching. Or if it came on now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. now it's a different story because... I can there's you know there's the internet out there you can look at the better episodes you can Netflix well no you don't there. know what's coming that's what I mean that's, that's what, what I'm saying, saying. at the time know. yeah no okay <laughs> but now you can jump around work out where stuff is you've got the whole context of the whole series from beginning to end but so you, back then off of you, space of a pilot yeah mm. so you yeah you just feel like this pilot wouldn't have inspired you well I mean all, yeah. the, all these pilots are essentially like mini movies for these series mm. and they've all kind of straddled this line of being a bit clunky as, as pilots are want to do and, and, and not really doing the most obvious or most exciting story that they could do for these shows and this one more than the others I think just kind of drops the ball a bit because it's got one of the most exciting premises on paper like chuck them so far away but then the story decides to kind of like justify that yeah. and keep them out there it's a bit like yeah, yeah. I know I know when else the crew really gets big moments to settle in like I can't I know who they all are I get that they're all very distinct but they don't really jump out as much at and this it, point and it's, there are things that I think I noticed because I know the crew members so there's mm, small right. things like uh, there's a point where they put on the doctor and they turn him off and you can see his expression to the captain where she's just like boop and it's just like a look of what the fuck <laughs> like no goodbye nothing boop and it's just it's so good and little facial expressions and looks from Janeway are totally on point but so those things I notice because I enjoy those characters yeah. and because I have a knowledge of them but I don't think I would notice it if I was watching it for yeah. the first time yeah. I... um, and, and that that's where it lets itself down because there are already some really good characterizations which the actors have really mm -hmm. delved into and have already developed 
and you aren't allowed to focus or enjoy or bathe in that because they're very small and quick and they're not deemed as important at that point in time and it's just it's a shame because it it does develop so well but it's a really slow Mm. development the whole journey of Voyager Mm. is quite a slow development but it gets good and they had 90 minutes in this episode alone I know (laughs) a lot of time but I did did wonder when uh, when they get hit by the the thing that sends them to Mm -hmm. the other side of the galaxy you're right yeah Janeway's hair comes out and it's all a bit frazzled I was like is that her version of the Kirk shirt rip just like her her hair comes out of place like oh my god glad you mentioned it like I've I've referenced her hair a lot in my notes (laughs) like she's got this casual perfect like one curled lock of hair that falls out when they get um, hit (laughs) by the what are the spade faces called again Kazon Kazon where the Kazon ship blasts them and so her perfect hair is a little little bit too soft and then just one beautiful curl framing her face just fell out like how does she do it yeah it's a crystal baby curl you know just they would have had to like spray it on and stuck it on his face like making sure it's not going to be moving well I'm going to go against the grain a little bit yeah I've got to say no because your past self has already proven you wrong uh-huh. That you wouldn't have carried on. Oh well, no, no, but I didn't give it. I didn't give it a chance, bro. So if that one. same version of you stuck I didn't give to the a chance. end, if I'd stuck to the okay. end, I've got to say, much as oh, I, I think it. the setup is a bit flimsy, because I'm just like, it's so obviously contrived just to be a TNG again. And much as the main crux of the plot of the pilot, I thought was a load of wank. <laughs> I've got to say, I would have come back. Why? Because. I actually really love this cast. Like, really did. Straight away, I think as an ensemble, I there's something about Voyager, straight off the bat, which I think is brighter than the other Star Trek shows of that era, of TNG or DS9. There's something more fun. The, the cast of Next Generation always seem like a bunch of bland nerds. <laughs> DS9 is much more down in the dumps. This is a darker show. This seems, we were were saying earlier about it kind of perhaps being more family, friend-based, a bit kind of, you know, jollier. Everyone, there's quite a lot of banter between the crew. Everyone seems quite happy to be there and kind of friendly towards each other. And you feel there's a real kind of frisson between everyone straight away. And all the characters, I just think everyone's kind of, you know, just really charming. And even Paris, (laughs) even Paris, like... I enjoyed him. I thought I do get completely. His character doesn't work. Mm. Essentially, he's not. A, just enjoyed him being oh, there. I, I enjoyed him last universe. <laughs> <laughs> I just enjoyed them all. I just thought, you know what? I was really intrigued by the Vulcan and the Klingon characters. Mm. I thought Janeway, what an awesome captain, female captain. She's fucking great. Um, Kim is really charming and great. Like, uh, there's there's just loads of really fun characters. Robert Picardo's hologrammatic Doctor. Uh, immediately really funny you've got Neelix is a bit of comic relief as well and yeah I was like you know what I would watch again next week just to see these characters again yeah and I I, I will say that you know joking aside um, I did come back and I watched (laughs) (laughs) all seven seasons and it's just something about the the premise of the show I found compelling I do feel like the enjoyment of going somewhere we hadn't been before I enjoy going on that adventure with with the crew and I, I must have really liked them enough to kind of feel like I needed to know more about them. Like, yeah, I think you do. Yeah, I to think, be able to borrow tapes off some strange Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think over another time, Come you kind of do car. get. There was a, there were occasions where like I'm just like they need to wrap this up. Five years in, mm. I'm just like we need to kind of this. Yeah, I think it over, over, outstayed its welcome. 
and they could have done away with a couple of seasons worth of like filler episodes. That's there probably is, true of is, all of these shows. Yeah, that go this long. And you're a 26 episode season, but like we know now that you just can do a lot more. You can get, you can cover the same amount of characterization and, and have as much impact. You know, with a, with a half a length season order. I, I loved Janeway. I love uh, Neelix and the Doctor. Um, you know, Kim and um, Balana. I've always found Chakotay in Paris to be not very interesting. Um, but it, you know, another another dream casting. Uh, I would say Oscar nominated actor for Dance of Walls, Graham Greene, would have been a great Chakotay. <laughs> um, but that's just another thing. I'll go there. That, let's move on to the episode. Yeah, that Sophie has picked. Sophie has uh, picked an episode of Voyager for us to watch from later in the series that she thinks will convince us to watch a lot more than the pilot did. Yes, that's correct. What have you picked, Sophie, and why? Uh, I picked Latent Image, basically because if you have a lot of the Doctor, it's guaranteed to be good. <laughs> right. Because he is a great and interesting character. Um, also, you have the introduction of Seven of Nine in this. Well, not introduction, but she is in this one as well. And she well, wasn't in the pilot. She yeah. wasn't in the pilot because she comes later on. Um, and I think she's a very good addition to the crew because she brings something that wasn't there before. Um, so this one I went for... It's. I liked it because of the way it's set up. You have a, a lot of conflict in there and a lot of uh, kind of ethics and morals in there as well. And so it deals with quite an interesting subject, which kind of typical sci-fi construct, like where where do you start deeming something has its own sentience and its own life and it's deserving. And it was an interesting take on that premise I found. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they've Personally. done this kind of show mm -hmm. before with Measure of Man on Next Generation. These are uh, like the episodes. So with yeah. TNG, I'm still. I've only watched about ten still since we've done the episode. But two I have watched are Measure of Man and The Offspring, mm -hmm. which is Measure of Man is data human basically is the episode and offspring is is the 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 robot girl that he's made human it's kind of the same story but it's this kind of thing and yeah you're right this this kind of episode feels very star trek which feels very twilight zone -y in a sense like it's that kind of like big moral question mm. and jesus it's a bit of an existential nightmare really like i was melting <laughs> down as much as the doctor was by the end of things well, like, oh, what do i do <laughs> well we should say this is season five episode 11 uh first broadcast on the 9th of april 2000 so we're mm. straight into the noughties here written by joe menosky um who was a, a writer for many star trek series and the only old school Star Trek writer to be invited back to write a script for Star Trek Discovery yeah. so that's quite an honour considering he's actually been brought back because they're obviously going for a more fresh feel there well one of his some of his credits like he did he was a play writer on Darmok which was our next gen uh, first yep. episode but on but is it for his Voyager credits, in addition to this great episode, um, Future's End Parts 1 and 2, which is the uh, screen debut of Sarah Silverman, which is It's basically the Star Trek Voyager crew go and have their own voyage home uh, situation. Right. Uh, Scorpion 1 and 2, which is like the banner episode of the whole show where you finally see the Borg. An introduction uh, of 7 and 9. And 7 and 9 mm -hmm. introduction. Uh, Year of Hell Parts 1 and 2, which also like really well regarded. 
and um, Killing Game Parts 1 and 2, which is basically LOLO crossover with uh, uh, Target Warrior, where they basically have to uh, live out a holodeck, oh, yeah. a World War II uh, Paris occupation holodeck fantasy like run by these uh, game hunters, uh, where they're basically killed off and then, well, no, not killed off, but like injured, hunted and injured, and then brought back to life and then put back in the simulation to do all over again. <laughs> but, they, but yeah, the, the bad guys play the Nazis, um, and uh, Seven Nine's like a carburetor in that one. It's, Kind of nuts. <laughs> All we needed was Rene. <laughs> Interesting that you say it because Year of Hell was my other. I was torn between Late and Image and Year of Hell, and the thing was. Lane Image is only one episode and mm. Year of Hell's two. Ah, so interesting that that came so up this, the same so, order. So this also got the nudge because you like the Doctor very much? Yeah. Yeah? Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I just, this I, is a good showcase for him. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's the actor who plays him, Ricardo's favourite episode... Um, probably because he gets a lot to do. <laughs> well, he just says like, his scene in uh, there's a scene in this episode where he's in the uh, with Neelix and he's talking about like um, uh, running through the he's a discussion about food, but then it changes into like his existential discussion about yes. like, what, you know what did he do? Why is he going to kill him? Uh, kill this um, crew member? Like his actions caused it, um, and you know it's. He says, "My first chance to do some real proper acting, like you know that in the show." Yeah, um, he's yeah, he's terrific in it. So Robert Picardo is kind of like a journeyman sort of character actor who appeared in a lot of Joe Dante films in the eighties. He's been loads of stuff, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, who can forget his turn as Meg Mucklebones in Legend, <laughs> uh, and uh, but also Johnny Cab in Total Recall. Um, and he was a, oh yeah he was a, a, a assassin in uh, inner space right yes yeah uh, Paul do you want to give us a quick plot breakdown of yeah. this episode so this episode concerns the uh, the doctor the emergency medical hologram um, who is trialing a new uh, piece of technology where he can do a holographic um, sort of rendering of people's like skeleton and their internal organs and that kind of thing and then uncover any anomalies within their makeup. Doing this, he discovers that there was a surgery uh, performed on Harry Kim, which he would have performed because his signatures are there. I mean, I think he carves his name into his skull every time he does it. Uh, but he says, like, well, I don't remember doing this. So clearly there's surgery's been done, but like he doesn't remember doing it. So there's a gap in his memory logs and his like pursuit of trying to find out where that memory went uh, leads him to suspect the rest of the Voyager crew are actually uh, erased it on purpose, uh, which transpires to be the case to protect him from basically making uh, well, basically an event that caused him to choose between uh, equally threat life-threatening injuries on two people, making a choice of which one he's going to save, and basically a Sophie's choice. It all comes back. <laughs> and this, this ruined his program. He basically went into like this uh, cycle and uh, the meltdowns basically caused him to break. And so they just tried to wipe the memory and just pretend it never happened. Mm. Uh, but the whole, the, the, yeah, the, um, the premise of it is like, should he be allowed to actually just work through those emotions yeah. as a developing life form should? So I, I liked how at the beginning with his basically camera version of an MRI scanner, he's, he's taking these photos and you have uh, the child Naomi, it's all very cute. And he says, a few photons never hurt anybody. And it sort of sets that all up that, that actually a few photons, which is what he's made of, because he is a hologram, that those few photons mm. are, is, are him. And, and the fact that there's this huge violation where someone's gone into his programming and altered, tried to alter who he is. 
um, just because he's the equivalent to a machine in some people's eyes there's this massive prejudice about who he is from the crew and actually I don't maybe I haven't seen enough episodes I don't feel that 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 prejudice was so strongly felt towards other people such as Data mm. the the way that they talk about the doctor and the way that they deal with the situation is horrendous yeah. compared to how they would treat data um, and and everyone just sees it as oh it's a bit it's a piece of code that's gone wrong it's, it's you're not working as you should do yet effectively the the two entities are comparable because data has an emotion chip and because they had the doctor for so long they decided to give him personality mm. they decided to gift him with that um, like they are this god and they've given it to him and because it's now been annoying they've taken it away when it's someone who's going through effectively PTSD like he, he's gone yeah. through a massively traumatic process his his whole being his whole kind of ethics and who is in his core is to be a doctor uh, effectively he's got a Star Trek version of the Hippocratic Oath and he's had to make a, a, a decision that would plague anyone you have two people who have an equal chance of survival and you have to pick one and there's nothing you can do you know that one of them will die and so you have to make a decision mm. and he picks the person who he has an emotional tie to because they both have an equal choice and he has to deal with that but he's effectively, when they turn him on, that's the start of his life. So compared to all the others, he's a child. They've only just given him a personality. He's not had any emotional development at all. So as soon as he's like a toddler and he, he can't deal with his emotions and pretty much has a tantrum because no one's coached him or taught him or nurtured him, they go, oh, we'll wipe it, erase it, turn it off. To turn it off and on, I and turn it off and on, and then the whole crew goes along with it. Yeah. That, and I actually find this less believable that Ooh. everyone goes along with it than than everyone going along with Janeway like blowing up the array. Like the fact that every no one, no one has, has any any like emotional yeah. squirm Is nobody his them. friend? And to be exactly, like, and I think that scary, that feeds into it? that kind of that prejudice. And I think the fact that they are so far from home makes it more believable that this would actually happen because they're cut off from that sort of starfleet humanity they are their own moral compass now they have no one else to mm. to compare themselves to no one else to mirror themselves off of it's they degrading create, down yeah they create their own uh rules and that they have to follow and their own emotional laws and and so Janeway is this pinnacle that they all look to. She's their guiding light on this. And there's it's really interesting the fact that you have and I'm glad that Seven of Nine is in here and she acts like the moral comfort. She is the mm. one who's the voice of integrity. Mm. She's She's stuck halfway between Yeah, two she's worlds. like the cricket in Pinocchio. She's mm. the conscience and it, I think it's a really good episode to first be introduced to Seven of Nine as well. Even though she's a supporting role in it, she's really strong in this. But yeah, I was thinking for a Doctor Who episode, amazing like how actually everybody does get a moment in this episode actually, mm. and really glad of what you know the scenes with Seven are mm. some of the strongest with with um, Catherine Janeway, yeah. you know, and really establishes what their relationship is because it is Janeway's choice to sort of save her and try and bring her. Uh, a lot back to the human race and that's going to be a long adjustment process for her and it's great kind of seeing this almost one year after the fact mm. and seeing where she's got to and she's got to the point where she's actually questioning Janeway and sort of 
has enough about her to say that you've got this one maybe wrong. It isn't true about the rest of the crew are probably being battered down by Jane Way having a final word on stuff for so mm. long that they actually are not really questioning her at this point. Mm. So it really does add into that, like, everybody's up against the Doctor. Yeah. Um, you really feel the claustrophobia of this episode because it's all it is a bottle episode, and I think the camera work is a bit more dynamic than usual than a usual episode of Voyager. I think they move a bit more, but it's also everything's a little bit darker. I think the episode is usually brighter, but I think things have sort of just dimmed slightly for maybe the nighttime shift. It just feels a bit more oppressive than mm. than usual. Uh, I think what I was going to say was it's funny to hear our different takes on this in regards to kind of comparisons with data and stuff because I thought exactly the same things when I started watching this episode uh, and they were having these discussions um, about, you know, the sentiments of the uh, hologrammatic doctor and stuff like that. I was thinking in my head, like, mm, haven't they already gone through this with Data? But then, once they got further into the episode, and they started talking when there's that scene where she's comparing him to the coffee machine yeah, and stuff, which is really data. horrible, um, I was just like, oh, this almost seems like an admittance of AI hierarchy, which is a really interesting idea. The thing is with the Doctor is that there's a clear power dynamic where... He can be turned on and off. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, and if yeah. you look at everything, all the interactions with Data, it's only Geordie that ever is is the person that does a diagnostic on him or will do any anything more than that. But with the Doctor, everyone has access. Everyone can just go boop or just take yeah, off his yeah. mobile emitter. When they have, when you have the end shot, they've put him in in the hollow suite that's basically they put him in a cell he can't leave there mm. oh he, he can um not without the mobile emitter yeah he's which they know they've taken off him. yeah because he's on suicide watch oh shit that's uh -huh. they they've, yeah. they've stationed him there there's a huge amount of control that they have over him mm. which you don't have that yeah. same thing with data data could if he decided to just bugger up he can like he can do that the doctor is is at all their mercy at a lot of the time, yeah. and I think that's why this feels so wrong. Where he had there was a an unspoken amount of trust that he has in these people, and his everything he does is to keep these people safe and well, mm -hmm. and that's where I think is the the difference as well that that he exists for them, yet there doesn't mm -hmm. seem to be necessarily that amount of appreciation appreciation back for him yeah, that is a real that person, it's, yeah. it's taken mm. for granted it's like they just thrown him in a psych ward at the end yeah with the whole yeah cell setup uh, and i mean the way they talk about him as well because he actually says it's rude to talk about people in the third yeah. person because they do talk about him like he's not not there yeah and it is just a case of right we're gonna switch you off now whereas like you say data he does just wander about and do his hmm. own thing kind of thing you know he he is allowed to kind of freely develop as his own person yeah like whereas this guy apart from the thing that he's taking photos and mm -hmm. um, for some reason they haven't invented a selfie by the 24th century <laughs> um, you know but he, yeah. apart from that he's not really you know he, he's like I say he's just functional kind of piece of kit for them to kind of bring out when they need it yeah, there's lots of good episodes to explore, mm. like where he came from as well, and, uh, mm. and so that he's actually a, almost a redundant model of the yeah, yeah. So uh, they're on the fourth version, and you get to meet the creator, who's like uh, when he sees like this one that's being used, he's like because um, there's a way that they can beam him across the, the alpha quadrant or the quadrants to kind of get send him back to help his creator because right. 
in the dark water, they've discovered the um, the, the um, arsenal of disease that's that actually affecting his creator. And so he comes across like space to, to administer the cure, but he hates the fact that that particular model, which looks obviously exactly like him, is now being used as like a bin collection. And, yeah. and like really menial tasks, and he's like, "Oh no! When you, when I send you back, I should give you the upgrade version." He's, but he's like, "No, resisting it because I'm much more than an upgrade version." They don't want to hit the reset button on me. I think by that time, this is maybe a couple of seasons later that I think the crew have begun to accept him as an individual. He's gathered so much pro, you know, uh, increased his program so much that you know he has become more of an equal in their mm. eyes. Mm. Well, I think that's that's the whole purpose of this episode though, isn't it? It's it's that turning mm. point yeah. where they they do have that opportunity to to make the same dishes the decision that they made before where they could just wipe it. <laughs> they could just wipe him, they could sort out what's happened. The thing that I find interesting is that Harry has no no memory of this event. So Harry almost died. Yeah. Had surgery put on him and he was like, "Oh, I've had surgery. Has no one told Harry that he almost died oh, see, and I that he had to have yeah, his spinal cord severed. I wiped his memory as well. I, I wondered if he guessing... knew, but he just wasn't saying anything because they've all taken this pact to like uh, show up. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, with what are the, some of the other rules? Like, does the Doctor as a hologram have like programming? Like, is it a thing of can he like could he kill one of them, or is it is there? Certain things where they can say you do this and he has oh, to no, do he, it. I don't think he can. So it's not like he well, doesn't, he doesn't act like a robot. Guy, does he? he beams him back to yeah. another ship, doesn't he? Rather yeah. Beam into yeah. space. Okay. Yeah. But that's a kind of moral choice, isn't it? Because he says, "Why didn't you do this?" And he's like, "Well, I'm not in the kind of you know business of killing." But people, I think that's whatever. the whole thing. Like, I th- mm. that's that's him, mm. isn't it? So his whole program is to be a, a doctor. Yes. So I think it's a. Uh, it's sort of like an unsaid acceptance that this this is going to be his core programming that he will not harm a living yeah. human. That's why yeah, he beams him back because he's yeah. a doctor. So he, his whole point is written around okay. that oath that that they have. And, what, and what's the? C- give me a quick fresher on seven and nine. So she was great in this episode, like you say, and some yeah. of the scenes with Janeway was perfect. I could tell this was like a turning point for a character. Mm. So she's half Borg? She is Borg. She, so is, she was Borg. Is she human at all? I she, yeah, she's... Well, well, Borg, they assimilate different uh-huh. different races. So, like, I'll take you, stick some metal in you, you become part of the hive, yeah. so you're basically a worker bee. But it's not like she's been turned back the way Picard was. She no. is technically still... Because she's in her, like, little Borg chamber. Yeah, because yeah. because she was there for so long, they weren't able to take out all of the yeah. all of the implants. Just so left she's a stylish, still, yeah, a stylish yeah. eyebrow. Yeah. Yeah. Much um, more because Picard was actually meant as a counterpart between the, the British, like, the Born humanity Queen and, and Borg. Yeah, so he was right. never hundred percent like he has saw a trace of individuality oh, okay. um, left in there. Where she is a Borg, has been she, yeah, she was yeah. back for Borg, and it's it's a lot harder to, to kind, of, kind of bring her back to the human. She's cut halfway between, or seems to be at yeah, least. That's still that Trek tradition of bringing a previous bad guy into the crew every season yes so that's very true yeah, yeah, yeah comes in and now Borg's around so I mean I really wanted to talk about 7-9 because Sophie I think this was such an amazing episode to pick because 7-9's one of these characters who I kind of had a preconceived notion of before I saw this episode because I've never seen anything with her in apart from photos on the front cover of FHM and stuff like that <laughs> like uh but, I mean... Not FSX. Yeah, basically, I mean, her first scene where she kind of turns up, I was like, oh, okay, here's Seven and Nine, the fanboy's wet dream, kind of like, you know, coming along. And I kind of looked into her background and saw she was brought in at the beginning of season four, and I was like... Was it that late? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And I was just like, this is so clearly 
bringing this kind of beautiful woman in in this insanely spray painted on skin tight outfit so clearly a ratings grab as uh showed by there was a lot of publicizing of her role coming into the show and the season four premiere which was her first episode was the highest rated show of the series since the pilot yeah. as well so there was a big anticipation of her coming in um, and apparently when her first costume that she had was so tight that the actress passed out twice um, and then eventually they kind of made it a bit more okay one well, the directors actually complained that he couldn't shoot her from any angle without emphasising her sexuality um, every time and it did, like I say it does look like it's spray painted on it actually reminded me of number six from Battlestar Galactica another kind of beautiful robotic mm. woman in it and she's seven and nine I was like why are we reducing women to numbers <laughs> this episode <laughs> perfectly demonstrated yeah, yeah perfectly demonstrated that there is so much more to her character in that and actually she's got this really deep interesting character this amazingly intense relationship with Janeway that scene between them where she challenges her and calls Janeway on her bullshit is amazing and Jerry Ryan's really really good in it I think so I was like yeah. wow like you know what they may have introduced this character as a way of going well, like you know let's get the fanboys mm. drooling over this and get some extra ratings but you know what at least they crafted a really good character yeah. for her and she is a really good actress it wasn't just like yeah. oh I'm just another like ensign or whatever and I think it was really clever that they chose a woman to be that challenge to Janeway yeah and that's what it needed because I wrote down we kind of moved past it a bit but at the beginning when the doctor comes to Janeway and says you know we're threatened this has happened you know there, there's aliens and you see her and Tuvok like share this look this knowing look and it's very clear that he's the only person who technically should be the one who challenges her but they had and that clearly demonstrates that they have this very close relationship and that he is with her on this. I don't think there would be anyone else who could properly challenge her. You need to have someone who is slightly, like, have a foot out of being the crew. So she's kind of half in, half out. It's really good that it's a female character that's doing it because otherwise it would just seem undermining. This seems like someone who has care for her but has enough strength of character to say... You are you are being horrendous to this other person, mm. and I think it's it's good that they use that Borg kind of comparison to to say if if it was me because I look human you wouldn't do this, but because he isn't in your eyes human, he is a machine. You think that this is okay? Yeah, completely. I mean, I was going to ask as someone who's seen a lot more of it. Do you think this is reflective of their relationship in general on the show? In the sense of they seem to me like they have a really close, intense relationship going on. And I found that kind of amazing. Like you say, it's between two women. I remember when Star Trek Discovery started, I was kind of disappointed that it didn't end up being about that central relationship between uh, Michelle Yeoha and uh, Michael Burnham. Um, because, but they seem to be doing it here in terms of this really, like, kind of, I mean, I, I thought that scene where she came in and they were kind of having that debate I thought it was electric mm. like really really impressive scene yeah they've had a lot of great moments up to this point because uh, yeah once they it, it, Jamie takes a real leap of faith with this I think a lot of people kind of question her logic about bringing the Borg a potentially dangerous uh, element onto the ship 
and it's her gamble really and so Janeway has to kind of go, go to bat for her a few times particularly in the early days when she's uh, struggling with the cybertronic like the well, cybertronic of all the implants I mean she has a few removed and the and the side effects and I think she kind of goes off the deep end a few times but Jamie's always there for her in the early days and she had faith in her and then when it gets you know we're a year down the road and when it calls out for having faith in the doctor like Jamie's not willing to do, give her the same lay out the same thing for her him I think you know Seven's got to that point where it's perfectly mm. reasonable to question her on that so it's it's actually one of the best character developments in the show and it's amazing it started so late and it really was the reinvigoration the show needed because mm. For, for, you know, Kess never really uh, worked for me. Uh, it didn't feel like she felt superfluous. Um, That's Neelix's girlfriend. Yeah. Right. I mean, was really going back to that Kess episode, that was really bizarre that he just lied to them to get to save his girlfriend. And I mean, not didn't... really. Well, it's not no, that bizarre. Well, no, but the fact that then they also just take him back on the ship, uh, back on the ship, is like mm, you almost got us all killed there. Uh, uh, you didn't mention that, did you? And they're like, ah, we'll move on from that. He doesn't look like he's really uh, like that care about saving some girlfriend in need when he's like rummaging around his, you know, rubbish. Ship. Having a bath. Yeah, on his rubbish ship as well at the beginning. So he's not on a mission to save her. I didn't she was even down think there. it was his girlfriend, you know, because he refers to her as just a friend. He refers to—I don't think he's his girlfriend. But he just says my friend, mm. and like so, I didn't even realise that they were. Especially as I was like looking at Neelix, I was like, "All right, mate, if that's your girlfriend, punching." Like, yeah, like what's going on? Like, yeah, but. Liam, <laughs> are you are you saying you're like, look, Linus can make a fine bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, like we are in the future now. We have gone beyond like traditional ideals ah, of how people look. Okay. How short sighted can I you see. be? What well, pussy is an alien? Yes, so she. They're both aliens. Well, he looks more alien. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recall the Max like last time yeah. saying a monstrous looking alien. Really upset, Alex. I have judged him. I have judged him by the cover of his book, the Star Trek book, <laughs> available from all good books. So, but it was telling actually in that pilot where it ended with like Kneelix re- reeling off all the things that he can have to offer, and like Kess is standing right next to him. <laughs> he says nothing, <laughs> and he was like. I, I can oh no, no, no I'll be here too <laughs> so, oh. did, so did they install um, a special Borg bedroom for Seven and Nine or yeah, did they just yeah, have a part of their yeah, ship the the, the, okay. there is a bit where Janeway walks in and she's sort of yeah that's of, what I meant they, I was like, they, I was like so, why do they have a part of the Borg ship on yeah their so ship? part of the cargo bay they they change to accommodate oh, her, nice. her sleep she's like living in the garage battery time yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like a mobile phone charger. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, it appears to be Janeway's relationship with Seven Nine, which makes her reevaluate her feelings on mm. the Doctor, isn't it? Very much so. Mm. But and that's why I send the sense of you know I assume they must have grown very close by this point for her to make it because you know at the beginning. I mean, she is being essentially you know hologrammatic racist like mm. towards like the doctor I mean she's really nasty the way she talks about him yeah and I, I feel it's difficult because um, you know when I'm like trying to review Voyager in my head like this episode you know doesn't show the other characters in a particularly good light I think you know it is a bit of a one-off on that sense but it's right. a really dramatic story and it paints them it, it and I, I do feel they don't they do act in character mm. it's not particularly comfortable but I think if you're right about Voyager, by and large, is the show that's a lot brighter, a lot more kind of fun and friendly, and 
it, you know, it doesn't go to the dark places very often. When it does, it does stand out as really good sci-fi writing, which this show does. Yeah. And talk about the writing, there's a big controversy over the ending of this particular episode. Which really? Did it, what was people's initial thoughts on it? Like, Personally, I thought it was really brave piece of writing um, in the sense of when I watched it, I was kind of really knocked back in the sense of I was like, wow, what a downbeat, yeah. unresolved ending for Star Trek. Yeah. It's kind of the fact that... Well, but it's surprised you say it's not writing. It's uh, producing that did that. Oh, right, yeah. okay. So the writer envisioned that it would be um, that Janeway would remain in the chair but fall asleep and the Robert Picardo, the doctor, would just be about to say something really kind of like important and profound and he looks up and she's already asleep and, he, and it's kind of a bit more kind of like... He, he's 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 about to sort of just finish the story, and he, he wraps up and kind of resolves that he was going to say something, and he's kind of had his eureka moment, and he can see oh she's fallen asleep, um, but the the Brown and Braga overruled him, and they sort of proposed a second version where she leaves, and he's left to kind of like read that poem by himself, and it could be taken two ways, where he's actually hologram is now uh, discovered art. And he's just he's basically been affected by something he's read, and he's reacted emotionally to it. In that book, which is my memory, on the first page of the chapter that is the day when I first met you, appear the words, here begins a new life. Um, or it could be just an allegory for like, things going to be different from now on. Pulling him out of just and the black and white answers. Because that's yeah. what's got him in the loop. He's like, it's either this or this, yeah. and there's no way to decide. Yeah, so have that other like, um, perspective on things. But, well, I say hooray for Braga then, because I think this is a much better ending yeah. than the no one easy... you've just described sounds. Yeah, there's no easy way out. Because this kind thing. of network show can easily do the one that just ties everything up, where it's like, he finds an answer, or gets given an answer, and it's like, hey, freeze frame, credits, you know. No, it's, it's what proves his humanity because Janeway has allowed him to have that humanity so he'll have to work through this like a regular person there's no quick fix something like this a traumatising event will always stay with you like you know as Sophie said you may suffer you know PTSD or something like that as a result and there's no getting away from it and as you say he reads that uh, piece of writing it's like you know a new chapter and he's going forward and now has become, you know, a, a more developed well, yeah. person. Well, you know, it's, it's just the beginning. You don't feel like this is somebody who's just reached the end of a journey at all. I'm right in the middle of it. Like, yeah. I'm still going through it, and it's going to carry on after this episode. Mm. Yeah. And we're not resolving yeah. it. That's just fade out. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. if they're going to be consistent from this exactly. point on, I guess they can't resolve his problems by doing the switch off again, because that would just negate this episode entirely. Yeah. So. Well, no, I mean, they're, they're clearly not going to. I mean, you know, Janeway actually says at one point towards the end, I'm a little busy helping a friend. And before, she made it very clear that, oh, he can't be a friend because he's just, you know, coffee, coffee. machine scum. <laughs> uh, but now she's Less clearly... Than coffee machine. It, you know, she's clearly changed her mind and been like, I've been living in denial to be able to justify what yeah. we did to you. Mm. And now I'm admitting I do consider you a friend. I'm going to let you mm. have this. Well, it's interesting because it's all about how they deal with guilt. It's the first yeah. time that the Doctor has experienced guilt. Like, yes. He is, he is a... Before this, it's all been very clear cut, like you were saying, black and white. And it's it's Janeway's guilt, it's his guilt, it's the complicity of the whole crew within it. Um, 
and like you're saying it's it's that first step isn't it it proves that there is a more um, there's more to his sentience than just programming. Yeah. There's more to him than just yeah. that, that he has this emotional conflict. The the crew member who dies, have we seen her before? No. No, no she's That's, in, that's an interesting choice because I think that helps input us in the Doctor's shoes. Mm. So she is someone who has been there for the crew, but we haven't seen. So it helps with the mystery in the first half because yes. you're thinking, oh, has this has someone been implanted or incepted in or something? Then it also makes us in the same situation for the choice where it's like, yeah, we'd pick Kim over her because yeah. we don't know them. So it's like, yes, I get it. And as someone who is very indecisive at the best of times, his entire like breakdown of decision making just sent my anxiety through the roof. <laughs> like, He's right. I, I can. I, that's it. I can't choose anything ever again. That was a brilliant scene, though, that which you referenced earlier about Neelix and and the fruit. And, yeah. and yeah. it's a really. Uh, it's, it's that thing, isn't it, where people have to make their, those decisions and you, you have to try and, and justify them, but sometimes you, they just have to be made and you, mm. you can't justify why you made them. It's that gut decision, which we hear people talk about, oh, I went with my gut, but this he doesn't have a yeah. gut to go with. And that's, that's a really clever piece of acting that he does there, I think. Yeah, and I like that he mm. did it. That's another thing as well. He's grown enough to the point of fact where he, he allowed personal like friendship yeah. to mm. influence it. So he's already grown to the point where he could even do that. It didn't break down at that point, mm. um, which is quite telling, I think, as well, when you look at the, at the episode as a whole. Um, I wanted to talk, because um, I'm sure you noticed this as well, Matt, about so many Red Dwarf comparisons in this episode. Hard light hologram. In, in the sense of, well, you know, we, we've mentioned before Replicated. how at this time there was constantly, like, uh, comparisons between Red Dwarf and Star yeah. Trek and the storylines. And this, there's so much in it because, obviously, in Red Dwarf, one of the main characters is Rimmer, who mm -hmm. is a hologram as well on the ship, uh, who eventually has hard light form as well, like uh, Robert Picardo's character does here. There's an episode of Red Dwarf called Thanks for the Memory, where Lister, um, the main character of the show, incepts a fake memory into Rimmer's head um, because he can, because he's a hologram, um, and he does it as a favour, as a birthday gift, because Rimmer's this sad loser, like he's never had a girlfriend, he's like still a virgin, stuff like that, <laughs> and or he's had sex like once in his life or so, and he basically gives him the memories of a girlfriend he once had to be make him feel. Um, like, you know, more of a man and stuff like that. But it completely backfires uh, because, you know, and eventually he finds out the, what he did. So they have to go back and wipe all their memories. Um, and then the episode kind of begins again, essentially them having to work out when it wipes why can't we remember what's going on? Because one of them's got like a broken leg now and stuff like that. The like, puzzle's been finished. So very similar. But also the fact that they're talking about they helped him exceed his programming and now they're essentially punishing him for it, which is very similar mm. to Crichton, uh, who is the android on yeah. Red Dwarf, who Lister helps him break his programming. And that often comes into mm. storylines with they create conflict because he's helped him break his programming. And so, so there's a lot of similarities yeah, going on. It's funny, I think the first time I mentioned Red Dwarf on this show was probably in relation to one of the films, which would have been before Red Dwarf. <coughs> it's like, oh, Red Dwarf sort of ripped this off from Star Trek was influenced by it whereas this this would have been coming out after Red Dwarf so well no no it was <laughs> when we talked about um, 
Red Dwarf was in reference to Legion. Yes. Um, one of the episodes with I can't even remember which one that was now. I think yeah. it was one of the animated series episodes. Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there are definitely, yeah, a lot a lot of comparisons and it's hard to know which ones took <laughs> from which and everything. Well, it's like just that well of sci fi ideas and how to implement them with certain characters. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially if you stories. are off hundreds of thousands of years into deep space or yeah. whatever the case or 75 years in this case um, but I do find it interesting I, I gotta say yeah um, so um, with this episode then like you guys make you feel like you want to watch more Voyager it's yes <laughs> yeah, yeah. categorically yes <laughs> a thousand times yes I, I mean I thought this was really 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 fucking good like I was really impressed by it. Um, and I definitely... I mean, the, the seven nine stuff between her and Janeway, I mean, see that alone made me go, oh, I definitely want to see more of this. And the, this relationship, this is really, really interesting. Um, but this episode, just as a standalone, mm. incredibly well written. Um, you know, and again, the characters kind of just popping off the screen in this yeah, one. I think. I think you're going to find it a lot easier to do the whole dip in and dip out. Yeah. If, you do, if you kind of pick the highlights of each season, again, you will just get the idea of they're moving a bit closer to home all the time. But you're not going to miss arcs particularly. Yeah, you know, you're going to have. This to... is moving back to the episodic, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think you know. They, I think there are there is a lot of filler in Voyager. There's a few real missteps in episodes, um, uh, and uh, you know, and I think some, some real standouts <laughs> like you know that are, are excellent as well. Yeah. Though, and it's so, the power of a great bottle episode. You know, yeah. Just... I mean, I don't think Voyager does some two parts for the ages. Like there are some brilliant ones, yeah. and they are, I remember the excitement of when I knew that there were, the Borg were going to come in because, like, it's a kind of thing. It's like, yeah, it's great to have like new villains and that thing, but they there was none that were really inspiring. We had the Vidians and the Kazon and and things like that in the in seasons one and two, where we're really far away. But as we start to kind of they start to creep towards like where the Alpha Quadrant is. Um, they, uh, I remember the excitement I felt when there was an end of an episode where just there's a normal kind of mystery episode on a, a forest planet. It's a murder mystery one, and they resolve it, and then they go outside and they just say, "Oh wait, something in the in the woods," and they go and like find it, and it's just a skeleton of, of the Borg. So and it's just like, "Oh, so we're we're heading that way, huh?" <laughs> and it's just like, and it would be another fucking like 14 episodes. And these are coming out a week at a time. They're like, the young me, I'm like, when the Borg is my whole life. Oh my god. I remember, like, you know, the, every episode I thought we were going to get the Borg in. It's like, they really fucking made you wait for it. And so it was like season four, and I think they did the whole two part thing where the one ends and then there's a year gap to see the conclusion. So Scorpion part one, introduction of seven and nine, and it's like another year to see how that resolves. I just torture. <laughs> Whoa! I mean, I've got to say, yeah. uh, I'm gonna find it hard to go back to Voyager now without Seven of Nine and that relationship between her and Janeway. Because to me, instantly their scenes together just took it mm. up a notch. Mm. Like in terms of the intensity of the show, I was like, this is nothing like the really kind of bright and sunny yeah. introduction we had in Caretaker. And now I'm like, let's let's. Fast forward for those first three seasons yeah, to get I seven think you nine. Go from four, four to four to seven, you know, is where yeah. it's like a bit like DS Nine, I think, where you've got like it really kind of finds its stride and, and its place. But I mean, it know, really feels it, like she's main crew. Yeah, I yeah, mean, definitely. Like, there's a couple of like episodes of, uh, earlier on which are like worth uh, worth checking out. But, oh no, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and I, I will. But certainly not as many as later on. Um, I mean, it's weird to me 
she kind of feels more like Janeway's Spock than Tuvok does Mm. in terms of that relationship. You know what I mean? In terms of a close relationship between captain and crew member where they're questioning them and they're slightly aloof and disconnected kind of thing. And that's just from this one episode. Yeah, 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 completely, completely. So, yeah. And and Alice, like, basically, 7 and 9, you know, whilst she may appear hypersexual, isn't at all in her character and almost is like... That is some part of her that hasn't, that really will, she's a long way away from embracing kind of a sexuality at all. And I think that's, that makes for interesting for you when they actually do kind of like try and sort of move towards like relationships, like actually trying to be, because she basically spends a lot of time alone, you mm. know, uh, in the, the, the lab, the stellar cartography lab or running experiments. So it's like, she doesn't really kind of, she's not a bridge person now. She's like, mm. Well, that really shows some restraint from the writers because you can imagine like the pressure from the network or someone being like, you've got like this mega babe in there, like, give us some love interest or do this stories and for them to just be like no this is who a character is it's like they're going if you're forcing us to put in like this sort of model we're going to make a ball <laughs> well, like, yeah, I'm yeah. surprised that Paris managed to keep his hands off her the, the entire series like yeah I would have thought he was constantly yeah well the thing is she could she'd break his arm <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. got that Paris doesn't he hook up with Bellana? I think they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they do in the end, yeah. Which one's below? Is that the yeah. Klingon? That's the half Klingon woman. Right. Ah. Mm, interesting. As part of this um, Bible for Voyager, it includes here the pre- original press release from at the time that it debuted. And there's a page of astonishing facts of the Star Trek phenomenon. <laughs> I've got three here, which are kind of funny. Uh, one that says, Trekkies, now called Trekkers, are the only fans listed by name in the Oxford English Dictionary. So I guess that name change happened around this time. We'll have to ask the Chumbles about that one previous guest on the show. Is their father works for the Oxford Dictionary? A 1993 study from Purdue University found that children learn more about science fiction from Star Trek than anything else outside the home. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, more about science fiction? fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not science. No, science fiction. They're not saying, sorry, They've just got this or Stop bothering teaching kids science (laughs) at school. And then uh, when Star Trek Voyager premieres, there will be more than 325 hours of original Star Trek programming. Fucking hell. Including, <laughs> including classic Star Trek, the seven Star Trek feature films, Next Generation Deep Space Nine. Doesn't mention animated series. And now uh, there's more yeah. with Enterprise. Uh, a, person, a person could watch Star Trek programming eight hours a day, seven days a week, for nearly six weeks before he had run out of original material. <laughs> does it say he there? It does say he. Full-time <laughs> job. And only, yeah, they're saying only a man would yeah. do such a thing. Like, yeah. I... One of my final questions then for Sophie is, um, we've, we've alluded to before some of my um, early days going to school and uh, and enjoying Star Trek, but perhaps being a little bit reticent to discuss it with people, just in case uh, they took umbrance. <laughs> and they did. And yeah. your lunch was. So, would, would I, in a, in a, in a modern day, uh, comprehensive, still get pantsed if I mentioned I like Star Trek, or would I be embraced? Well, I did a, I was doing a lesson the other day with my year 10s, and we were talking about tardigrades. And one in one kid in the corner put a picture up. They're like, "It's a tardigrade." I was like, "And what have you seen that in?" And he's like, "Star Trek." And they're like, "Hmm, hmm. no one cared. No one cares." Oh, I've been born no in the wrong era. Now. Yeah, it's the, it's the era of the you geek, sh- man. It's the but culture. in your next class, he will come in with a black eye. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but now this is the thing, especially in the UK. It's mainstream. Star Trek Discovery. It's on Netflix. And the movies, like, you know, the movies and the Netflix show are now, you know, to young people what Star Trek is. So I think they are going to have a far less jaded view of it now. It'll just be another thing that they watch. 
I don't think they're going to think about it so much. It's seen as funny and retro. They they see it as like, oh, lol, classic. Like, disco <coughs> music is, is like retro. 90s, that was forever ago. Star Trek yeah, makes the... great gifts, so the kids are going to love Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> true. And everyone loves Pat Stu, and Pat Stu is, is what people associate Star Trek it's with. The gift King, that's they true, yeah. They won't really know much about Voyager and, and DSG, but they know Pat Stu and they love him because he yeah. wouldn't. The difference was when we were at school, this is all contemporary, and yeah. that's the difference. Well, I think memes and gifs have saved a lot of things that would have been like looked down upon. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean the prequel Renaissance. Like it seems like online, it's actually got like a lot of d- people defending it almost. It's sort of because of like the the prequel memes have sort of given it a second life. Uh huh. Yeah. You're saying this is not the case? No, no, I'm just trying to think of some. There's a lot of either high ground Anakin ones going yeah, around. Yeah, Obi Wan. And, uh, and also a lot of the younglings references. <laughs> yeah, arming yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, teachers in schools. But with those, I, I think that's also a thing of the kids, you know, who are now slightly older, now growing up with those prequels rather than the original films. Yeah. In the sense that you know, oh, and that's their films. Yeah. yeah, that's their that's their trilogy kind of thing. You know, and I mean, obviously they're idiots, but you know, Poor it children. is <laughs> Poor neglected children. Um, so yeah, I think we're all pretty yeah, in on watching on more one. of this in terms of some episodes. Yeah, a lot more selective. But yeah. if they can be, you know, if the highs are this high, then all yeah, good. yeah. And you the same, I mean, you've seen a lot of it, but will you be revisiting some episodes? Yeah, I'll have a look. I think, you know, there's plenty I haven't seen, which I'm going to see first before I uh, revisit okay. Voyager, but I, uh, you know, this is really kind of reminding me, it's, it's reminding me why I did watch it all. Why you mm. bought it? Because there were some great moments, and I yeah. think, it, you know, you'd have one of these come along every four or five episodes. <laughs> every four or five seasons. Every four uh, or five weeks. And, uh, In between yeah, visits from like, day. It'd be great. I mean, yeah, I mean, I had some guy take them for me after that, you know, and deliver them every week. So, you know, so I was like on it. It's like crack. Got any more of that? Voyager! There's some, there's some really great parts in it. I think there's some really great one offs, like things like Bride of Chaotica is a hilarious. Following episode to this one. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty. Wow. But it's, it's so different. It's That's so a whole different. VHS. <laughs> it's, it's great. And, and, uh, Keep hold of that one. The villains that come in, you were talking about, I really like the Herogians. I think they were great. They're like this, basically this race of people who are just on like steroids, hunting everything and just, yeah. they were terrified. They terrified me when I first watched they it. Those are the guys that play the Nazis. Because they, yeah. they, they are people who you can just imagine existing in the world. Mm. They just look like crazy right-wing asshole nut jobs yeah they were, and, and that's and they they are so relevant I think especially at this point in time I also find it's like how the Voyager crew like wouldn't look like they could stand and, and fight a lot of the time you know and you've got this big well they're bad boys Paris I can see how they're just being sent sick with broken bones and like they're going to you know being patched up and sent back out yeah. Oh dear. So I think that is a wrap on Voyager. Uh, thanks so much for coming, Sophie, and telling us all about uh, this show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Next month, we'll be taking on Star Trek Enterprise. Or just Enterprise. Um, or wait, 
is it's, it just called Enterprise it's on its started, own? It started as Enterprise, and then like, and then they added Star Trek later yeah, because people got confused as to what it actually was. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, it that is interesting. It sounds like a delivery company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll be so really. I mean, that is the last chapter of Star Trek before there's a big old break again. And then you get the JJ movies and Discovery and stuff. So this is kind of the last piece of classic Trek. Um, we're going to be joined by Greg Locke, who's previously come in to also talk up maligned chapters of the uh, Trek franchise, like Final Frontier, or join us in trashing Nemesis. But he's a massive fan of Enterprise. He's the only fan of Enterprise, <laughs> and he's coming on the show to tell us about it. We're going to do the pilot, which apparently at the time was the most expensive pilot ever made at that point. We're going to do an episode that he picks. We're all going to be turned around on Enterprise. It's going to be amazing. This is another one where... I've only ever seen the first five minutes of the pilot. And again, I turned it the fuck off. So I can't wait. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Thanks for, uh, for coming, Sophie. Um, I've been Paul Wilson. I've been Matt Brothers. I've been Liam Dempsey. Let's voyage on to Enterprise next month. If you enjoyed this episode of Spotlight and wish to support us, you can rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at SpotlightPod. You can also get in touch and drop us a message directly by emailing spotlightpod at gmail.com.